Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I am sitting in the van right now on a relatively busy street in Missoula, Montana. So if you hear some traffic noise in the background, that's what it is. I, I'll, I'll try to get some better background noise soon, like nature, for example. Um, but right now we got some traffic noise. Getting some work done, getting this podcast out um, because we are headed to Whitefish today to Cameron and Melaine Shane's place. We, uh, Chris and I, uh, along with Cameron and Melaine, are co-facilitating a retreat this uh, week, Wednesday through Sunday. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Uh, we signed up to co-facilitate this with them. I guess we actually had the idea a year ago when we visited them for the first time. Uh, they do a lot of work with movement and are um, really talented uh, at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Cameron has created all these amazing practices relative to mobility and like moving authentically in our bodies and um, uh, Melaine has incorporated all of these uh, tools with yoga and they're really cool and it was really such a pleasure visiting them. We had a really good time. Uh, you may have remembered that I had Melaine on the podcast at some point last summer and uh, <clears throat> both of them were awesome and we just sort of stopped by because they had read Chris's books and had talked about a lot of Chris's work in their uh, retreats that they run all summer at their place in Montana. Their whole sort of, uh, the way that they teach is basically to explain that the way that we think is the way that we move. So we can't have a movement practice or a practice that involves you know, psychology without considering the somatics that they're all intertwined, right? So people go to them to sign up for these yoga teacher trainings or um, do these uh, jujitsu camps, but it is very incorporating of, you know, how we think about ourselves, how we think in general, how we engage with our bodies and our minds, um, because these things are so interconnected. And so that was always really cool and little did I know at the time last summer when we first had this idea to co-facilitate a retreat with them that that's really where my work would be headed as well. Um, I take issue with what I feel like has become a bit trendy now in terms of kind of hating on psychology. I, I see it and I understand why. I think there's a lot of really bad therapists. I think there's really like, there's a lot of bad therapy out there. And I do agree that without a more comprehensive, especially somatic practice that oftentimes talk therapy falls short. Um, however, my life was 
totally changed for the better as a result of therapy that I did. Um, I mean, I've been in therapy for most of my life on and off, but I had a therapist that I've talked a lot about on the podcast after I got divorced a few years ago and I went to see her two to three times a week for like the better part of two years. And because I was ready and willing and because she was so amazing, um, it was wildly transformative and super helpful. And I don't think I would be the person I am today without that therapy. However, I do feel like whether you do somatic work at the same time as doing talk therapy or afterward or before, it is incredibly, I would say, imperative to engage our bodies in this. And the same goes for just doing somatic practices, right? Like I know a lot of people that are like just doing EMDR or just doing tapping or just doing some sort of practice, nervous system work with their bodies, but not really exploring the psychological, intellectual piece of this. And I think our brains do play a role um, and that stuff needs to be addressed as well. So for me, the process was really going from a more sort of intellectual, analytical, psychological perspective and then moving into the somatics after that. And I didn't really plan on that. I didn't have that as a, uh, yeah, I didn't have it as a plan of action at all. It just sort of unfolded that way. And it's been a really beautiful experience, especially in the program that I've talked about, um, that I did in Athens, Contact Beyond Contact, which is all about exploring um, our psychology, both personally and relationally and collectively, uh, through the way that we engage with our bodies and engage with our bodies with others. So it feels perfect. It feels like the universe conspired um, to really have this retreat that I'm co-facilitating with Chris and Malene and Cameron this coming weekend to be perfectly timed, I'm going to actually teach my first Contact Beyond Contact class. I'm going to do um, a longer workshop that's sort of, I think, kind of trying to bridge what Cameron and Malene will be teaching movement-wise and what Chris will be teaching in a more psychological perspective and sort of bridging the gap between the two. So I'm about to do a lot of things I've never done before. Um, I have never held physical space for a group like this. I have never co-facilitated a retreat. I have never taught a contact beyond contact class. I have never really facilitated a workshop in person like this. So these are all a bunch of new things. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit in preparation for the conversation that you're going to hear today with Whitney Will. She's an astrologer. She's been on the podcast. I think this is now her fourth time, maybe third maybe fourth, something like that. She's a friend of the podcast though. She's a friend of mine as well. We did an astrology apprenticeship together and this is now the second course, um, third or fourth podcast. And we're going to be teaching our second course together. We did a, we created something called retrograde with intention, which is a container to support a group of people through a retrograde transit. Uh, the first one we did was Venus uh, last winter, and it was super fun. And we talked about the possibility of bringing it back for Mars's retrograde in Gemini, which is happening imminently. And we decided to do it. Um, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I think I think it will be the last astrology class that I teach for a while. I don't plan on bringing the lunar circle back this coming year. I'm not sure if I'll ever bring it back. Um, 
I'm definitely the type of person that likes to move and flow through my interests and allow my desire to guide me into whatever makes the most sense for me at ever at, at any given time. And sometimes what I desire lasts a long time, like this podcast. I don't see myself stopping this podcast anytime soon. But as far as teaching astrology, I'm, I'm pretty confident that after retrograde with intention for the Mars retrograde um, that I'm going to be taking a bit of a break. And basically what I've decided is that if you studied, if you've studied astrology with me before or taken a class with me, you know that the bulk of what I teach is around archetypal psychology and mythology and how can we put ourselves in these stories in order to understand ourselves better because the mythological stories are what the are the basis for all of the signs and all of the planets. That's where all the, you know, characteristics that we hear about are from. They're from stories, uh, which is a, which is what a lot of people don't realize. And so if we can sort of uh, reroute ourselves and re-familiarize ourselves with the original stories, right? Like Leo isn't just a collection of random traits that were assigned to it. It's based on a story about Hercules. And so if we go back to the story, we can see how we relate to the story. We can see how we relate to that character, and then we can better understand ourselves as a result. And so the way that I've done this in the past is that I use astrology as the doorway into that mythology, into that archetypal psychology. But what I would like to play around with a little bit, because astrology has such a bad rap, and because I'm also very disappointed by what has sort of always been, at least in my lifetime, uh, mainstream astrology. Um, it's something that we talk about, that Whitney and I talk about in our episode, but both of us have felt pretty alienated by the mainstream astrology community. I find it difficult to talk to people about the fact that I'm an astrologer because I'm always having to give them like a million disclaimers. Like, I'm an astrologer, but like, it's not what you think. Um, and I know a lot of people who might really benefit from and desire to explore mythology and archetypal psychology are put off by the fact that it's being offered as an astrology course, which is what I've been doing before. I love astrology and it's been super helpful for me and I don't see myself moving away from it entirely and I'm really looking forward to teaching uh, Retrograde with Intention with Whitney, but I would like to at least explore uh, what it would be like to try and offer a course that also deals in the realm of mythology and archetypes without using astrology as the way in. So regardless of what your chart says, you still have all these stories in your lives. We don't necessarily need to know our chart placements in order to see archetypes show up with, you know, within our own, within our own narratives and within the narratives of the world. So that's where I feel like I'm moving to. Um, that said, retrograde with intention will be very much of that. <laughs> we will be focusing on the archetype of Mars and specifically uh, Mars in Gemini, which is the sign that it's going retrograde in. And then also, obviously, what the retrograde means. What does it mean when a planet goes retrograde? And the reason all of this relates to me doing a bunch of things I've never done before is because that is indicative of the archetype of Mars. Mars is um, relative to the warrior. It uh, has to do with the story of Jason and the Argonauts. And it's really all about our will and our action. And if Venus, which is what we focused on for the last retrograde with intention, and, and I recorded a podcast about Venus on the show as well in the past, um, if Venus sort of makes us aware of what it is that we desire, 
Mars provides the movement to allow us to move toward it. So, okay, I desire to learn something new. I desire to co-facilitate a workshop. I desire to start a podcast. I desire to leave this relationship, start a relationship, move, um, re-examine uh, my entire life, or I desire to actually stay put and figure this out. All of that, the will to do that comes from the archetype of Mars. And this idea of action and will is tied to the archetype of the warrior because in order to do something, what's really happening is something's changing, right? We're, we're probably doing something we've not done before. It takes a lot of courage and bravery and some degree of valor and integrity in order to move forward and do something else because it's fucking scary, right? Like it's super scary to do something. <laughs> it's super scary to do shit. Um, it is, right? It's a lot, it feels a lot safer to just sort of stay with what's been going on and, and have in the back of our minds that like, oh yeah, I really should deal with this relationship problem. But I know that if I do that, it is going to cause all of this conflict and tension and um, change and unknowns. And I don't know how they're going to react. And, you know, what if they react badly or what if I end up in a situation that is worse or get into a relationship that's worse? There's just a whole slew of problems uh, that can be provoked by doing shit. And I have a very strong Mars in my chart. And I feel like I was very grateful to learn about that when I did, which was a few years ago. Uh, I guess more than a few years ago now. It's like crazy, but I guess I got divorced like six years ago. Time moves way too fast when you get older, guys. It's scary. Um, but I learned about this a lot six or so years ago, and it made a lot of sense. I could see how people were always calling me brave and courageous, and I didn't really understand what they meant by that. But if I looked back, I could see like, oh, right, okay, I moved across the country for a new job. I switched these relationships. I left my job to work for myself. There were all these things that I was doing that I could see like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool that you felt uh, brave enough or it's not that I felt no fear or even safe enough to do it. Like the fear is there, but it, it always has felt like the sort of evolve or die thing for me. And I just started to see that quality in myself as something really cool and something that I should feel grateful for and something that not everybody has and that I really wanted to help encourage others to take on as well. Of course, what comes along with a strong Mars... Um, are some negatives, potentially. <laughs> Impulsiveness is one. Combativeness. Anger. Mm, our capacity to create problems just for the sake of having a problem or fight a battle just for the sake of fighting a battle. Um, these are all things that I've had to deal with as well. All archetypes have both a healthy and a shadowy expression. And... We will be engaged with these healthy and shadow expressions of every archetype at some point in our lives. We have all the planets and all the signs in all of our charts. But for some of us, some of these archetypes show up more prominently than others. And what really changed for me, what really helped me in, in evaluating and growing through the archetype of my own Mars was, and still is, this is still a journey for me, but I think what I've the work that I've been doing is to really try to know myself 
better, to have a better sense of my own integrity, a better sense of my own self-awareness. Because there's a lot of reasons why we want to do something, why we want to speak up and say the thing that no one else is saying, you know. Um, there's a lot of hero complex energy that can come with Mars, and I have had to, I've had to battle with that alone. I always feel like I'm the person that leads or has to lead or is being called to lead or being called to say the thing that no one else is doing or do the work that no one else is doing. I think Whitney sort of jokingly brought up that this entire podcast is like me being a controversial figure, which in many ways it it is, you know, I think I'm surrounding myself with other people who also enjoy speaking about controversial things. But the fact is I started this because I felt like no one was having challenging conversations and I really wanted to have them. Challenging conversations is such a good example of not just Mars, but Mars specifically in Gemini, which is what we're going to be talking about and learning about in Retrograde with Intention. I think I remember reading an article by Stephen Forrest, who's a great uh, astrologer. Um, his book, The Inner Sky, is something that I require all of my Lunar Circle students to purchase when they take the course. But I remember reading an article uh, from him. I think he's done, I think he's taught some courses on this as well. They might be available on um, astrologyuniversity.com. But I remember reading an article where he talked about how the sort of uh, highest expression of Mars was that of the spiritual warrior. And talking about the person that was engaging in the battle, it was their responsibility to distinguish between spiritual battles and battles that are not spiritual. And what, what he meant by spiritual was like, is this, is this working for the highest good? You know, am I engaging in this challenge or this tension or this battle or, or provoking this change for the highest good? And because it's coming from a place of integrity and growth. And this is a question that I've had to ask myself a lot uh, because I am so inclined to do things that I always have to sort of sit back and reflect, like, why am I doing that, though? Where is that coming from? Why do I want to do it? What's the outcome of this? Um, it's been such an important lesson because I think, and this is something I've talked about before as well, that like those of us who are even somewhat intelligent, and I would wager that everyone listening to this podcast is intelligent, um, at least somewhat, if not far more than somewhat intelligent, it's really easy for us to convince ourselves of stuff, right? Like you don't, you, you can just be a little smart and you can rationalize just about anything, right? You can convince yourself that a battle is spiritual or the opposite, right? Like Mars is not just about our, our it's about our capacity to act, which means that we might be acting a lot or we might be acting not at all. We might be outwardly aggressive, externally aggressive, or we might be passively aggressive, we all have this archetype within us, but for some of us, it's far stronger than others. Um, for some of it, it's a skill we have to hone. We have to really force ourselves to move. Maybe surrendering and letting go is a lot easier for us. And we can sort of rationalize, oh yeah, I'm waiting for divine timing when really we're just afraid of doing anything. So this is, this is going to appear in different ways for everybody. But the point that I want to make is relative to action, we have a lot of ability and capacity to convince ourselves of anything we want. So I was recently engaging in something 
where I was debating whether or not to speak up about something. This is a theme that happens in my life all the time. Mars is in Gemini. Mars entered its retrograde shadow. So it does not surprise me. Mars is very strong in my chart. It does not surprise me that these issues of Mars and Gemini, like words as tools or words as weapons is, is coming up for me already. And this is something that I think is going to continue to be explored within our group. Um, and I'm looking forward to exploring it with a group of people and talking about it because I, I, uh, it's such a big theme in my life. But I was presented with this opportunity to bring something up, which is a, an opportunity I've been presented with in the past. And I've made mistakes around it in the past. I really have always... I think had a tendency to want to be the hero and the savior and like, yeah, I have the balls to say this. So of course I'm going to say it. But what was really happening underneath the surface was that I wanted to be seen as the hero. I wanted to be seen as the brave one, the person that came forward when no one else would and spoke the truth. But beneath that were all these murky and unhealthy patterns related to wanting to be loved and be worthy and win someone's love and just all this muck that created a disaster. And, and in the past I've brought, I've brought things up and, and said the thing when the person wasn't ready to hear it or when I'd already engaged in all this strange manipulative behavior that it, it, um, it didn't turn into a, a very positive experience. There was a lot of growth there. Tune into episode 108 if you want to hear what I'm talking about. Um, but it was not ultimately the way that I'd want to engage in that sort of a situation in the future. And so here I am again, sort of being presented with a relatively similar situation. And I'm so grateful to have been around this cycle before <laughs> and familiar with this situation because I can choose to react differently. You still never know, right? That's the thing with Mars. You don't know what the outcome will be. You can't know for sure what's going to happen when you jump off the cliff. Something's going to happen, but you don't know. And so all you can really do is not predict how people will react or how things will turn out, but just know that no matter what happens, that you've operated from a place of integrity. I think integrity is another Mars word because Mars is about the self and about our awareness of the self. And if we don't know who we are, we can't act from a place of integrity. And so in order to even understand what that means to us, what does integrity mean? We have to know ourselves. We have to know our patterns. We have to know our desires. We have to know our insecurities. We have to know what we're good at, what we're not good at, etc. And I love this about Mars. Mars is very much related to the hero and therefore the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And the retrograde itself is... Um, the cycle, uh, this part of the cycle of Mars's cycle, the retrograde piece is related to the supreme ordeal in the hero's journey. And I think we can sometimes associate the hero or the hero's journey with these sort of external and outward things, right? I think they're, they're also very related and can be related to sort of toxic forms of like autonomy and sovereignty and the sort of patriarchal capitalist hero but really what the hero's journey is about and should be about is a collaborative journey that you take with yourself and others to understand yourself more. That's what the hero's journey is. We are what we're seeking. 
And so we're engaging in all of these conflicts and all of these tensions are being at least presented with them because the universe is conspiring to have us learn about ourselves. That's what this is about. That's what Mars is about. That's what being a hero is. You can't be a hero unless you, you know yourself and you feel confident in yourself. And so that's what we're going to be exploring in Retrograde with Intention. I will put a link in the episode description for this show where you can sign up. Registration closes on September 15th. We are expanding this quite a bit from what we offered with the Venus Retrograde with Intention course. Um, I think we had like three lectures last time. Now we have five, I believe. Um, all of them are also going to be recorded this time, which didn't happen last time. We're going to be meeting on Saturday evenings. If you can't attend those live, that's totally fine. They will be recorded. And in addition to all of that, we're also going to be offering group discussions. So everyone can from the group can discuss their experiences with one another. Um, and then Whitney and I are also going to be offering office hours where you can bring your charts and really get into the nitty gritty of what you're experiencing, what questions you have from the course. And that's just going to be a time for like additional learning. Um, it's $250 and it's a six month container which is pretty epic. That's hardly any much more than we charged uh, last time. And this, this uh, Mars retrograde course has so much more than we offered for Venus. Um, but we decided not really to raise the price that much because we wanted to be accessible to people. So if you are interested in signing up, I'll put the link in the episode description. It's on Whitney's website, starhearthastrology.com, S-T-A-R-H-E-A-R-T-H, astrology.com. You can sign up on the bookings tab and find a more comprehensive description on the classes tab. If you have any questions, if you need a payment plan, we are totally willing to accommodate all of your things. Um, so please don't hesitate to reach out to me on yakots at gmail.com. Reach out to me on Instagram. Let me know. Um, what you would need to feel comfortable and rolling. So I'm really excited. I would, I would, uh, it's hard to pick favorites. I have a Libra moon. It's so hard to pick favorites, but I think Mars, not I think, Mars is definitely at least in the top two, if not top three of my favorite um, archetypes to explore. It's the chart, it's my chart ruler. I'm in Aries rising and my, uh, Mars rules Aries. So if you're in Aries rising or Scorpio rising, Mars rules your chart. Um, you could have Mars in, in a myriad of different important positions in your chart. And I have a tattoo of Mars on my finger and I love it. I think this is such a important archetype for me and a guiding, um, a guiding principle and just a guide in general that I I'm so grateful to have the awareness of in order to follow. So whether you feel particularly strong in your Mars or not strong in your Mars, anything, any relationship you have to action, to will, to anger, to aggressiveness, to battles, to courage, to bravery, um, to bringing change into your life, to fulfilling your desires, any relationship you have to this, um, especially in the realm of Gemini, uh, which has a lot to do with communication, with words, with expression, with... Um, research with facts, with learning, um, all of these things are relevant to everybody. We all have a Mars, we all have Gemini in our chart, and so it's really open to everyone. No previous astrology experience is necessary. And yeah, you'll be hearing a bit more about Mars and, and really a bit more about these sort of more difficult and challenging energies in astrology in this upcoming conversation with Whitney. Lastly, before I get into that, because Chris and I are on the road, 
We are in Scarlett Johansson. We are bringing back podcast meetups. COVID seems to have been subsided, subsiding a little bit, even though Chris just got it pretty terribly. And I just got it a month ago. But still, at least regulations have subsided. I think a lot of us have gotten COVID, so hopefully there's some herd immunity going on. But we are bringing back meetups. I love meeting you guys, and I love creating a space to facilitate you guys meeting each other. <laughs> that is... I like I'm speechless as to how fucking cool this part of the podcast has been the community piece the meeting you guys the introducing you guys to each other I just met up with two uh people who I know listeners of the podcast shout out to Lily and Ilona um they came to Crestone I would have never met them if it weren't for the podcast and they were on a road trip together and they met because of the podcast and it's just like it's so magical like I said to them I was like I just feel like you're this like strange tendril or like tentacle that's coming off of me that I didn't really have any control over but it's there right and like they know other people from the podcast and there's just this beautiful beautiful web that's being created somewhat organically from this show existing and I I'm truly speechless I fucking love it like I all I'm saying is the word fuck but uh (laughs) that's about all the eloquence I've got for this but it's just so cool in this like collapsing messed up world that disappoints me constantly and makes me feel relatively hopeless all of you are what keep the hope alive for me and I'm so grateful to have met so many friends and to have helped facilitate the meeting of friends and curating a group of black sheep weirdos who can all support each other and feel comfortable speaking about uncomfortable things is just one of the greatest joys in my life. And it, I feel like that's the heartbeat of this podcast is the community that all of you have helped to form around it. So I hope to meet you at a meetup. Go to my website, anyakats.com, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S.com. The seal list of tentative places that we will be visiting. Um, If you live anywhere near those places or even somewhere else, at least on the west half of the country and have an idea of where we could host a meetup, send us an email. Uh, There's an email address there that you can look at. Contact me, but really anywhere on Instagram as well is fine. Would love to meet you there. If you are not living near any of those places or can't come to a meetup, another great way to meet other listeners and to engage with me directly is on Substack. Uh, It's free, uh, but you can also donate if you find this project and this content valuable. Anyakots.substack.com. You can comment on posts, comment on episodes. I'm releasing writing and poetry and all sorts of cool stuff that is happening there now and will be happening in the future. I hope you'll join us. Again, that's anyakots.substack.com. Okay, I think that's it. I feel like I have so many things or had so many things to talk about in this intro and I'm sure that I forgot some of them, but alas, uh, I think I got the important stuff. I'm going to play you in today with a song called Tumbleweed and I am forgetting uh, who it's by, so I'm going to look that up right now. Pusifer, P-U-S-C-I-F-E-R. Um, I always link the songs or write the songs that I play on the podcast in the description. And I also have a Spotify playlist. If you search A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World, there's a little globe next to it. You will see uh, all of the songs that I've ever played on the podcast there. And I have some other playlists as well. Um, so feel free to check that out. But I'm going to play this song because it reminded me a bit of Mars and what I what I've been thinking about and what I talked about in this intro as far as finding ourselves and becoming whole and where does that kind of courage 
and bravery and faith come from to act when we can't possibly know what the outcome is. We can't possibly know where we're going. I want to bring up this really quickly, this beautiful, so simple exercise that I did in Contact Beyond Contact in Athens, where we did the simple exercises as orienting ourselves toward a point in the room and moving our bodies, different parts of our bodies toward that point. So, okay, I want to move to the corner and I'm going to pick my elbow. So I'm going to move my left elbow toward that point in the room and then pick other parts of my body to move toward there too, like my heart or my knee or my toe or my um, pelvis. And so we're, we're moving toward this. And, and as we're doing this exercise, our teacher Van says, okay, and now notice that as you're moving toward that one thing, you're moving away from something else, right? So if you move your el left elbow toward one corner of the room, your left elbow is also moving away from another corner in the room. And it was this really beautiful metaphor about like, when you move away from something, you are naturally and organically moving towards something else. So if I, if I just orient away, right? If I say, I want to move my left elbow away from that corner of the room, I might not know at first where I'm going or where that elbow is taking me. But in the process and the movement of moving away from something, we're moving towards something else, even if we don't know what it is quite yet. And so this requires faith and confidence we don't need to know where we're going. We don't need to know what the outcome is. We just know that something's not for us anymore or we know that we need a change or we know that we need to do something we haven't done before. And that's super powerful. And I felt like when I was listening to this song, sort of finding this light within ourselves, this candle burning that's letting us know that we're on the right path or is our ally or our guide on that path when things are quite dark. This to me feels like a good song or anthem for the spiritual warrior. So that is what I'm playing you in with today. Enjoy the song, enjoy this conversation, and I will catch you on the other side.
here wherever here is <laughs> um here to talk about a bunch of different things today relative to astrology um we're both sunburned and feel a little low energy and exhausted which as you'll find out are very uh very much related to some of the themes we're going to talk about <laughs> um but yeah i'm excited to have you back on whitney yeah thanks for having me and, you know, I think the, I think the sunburns and the low energy might slow us down a little bit in helpful ways. <laughs> I know. I actually thought about that too. Like, cause there's obviously, you know, we're going to be talking about astrology and astrology is nuanced in, it, in its expression. And I think there's also with the topics we're speaking about, we could have come here like angry and manic. And I'm glad it's not that. I'm glad, I'm glad it's the other side of some of these archetypes. Um, so yeah, today we wanted to talk about, I think like uh, a series of topics, but I think all of them can sort of be umbrellaed under this idea of, you know, good and bad and positive and negative and mm -hmm. helpful and unhelpful and however else you want to see these things and um, really explore like, you know, both the, the positive and negative sides of looking at things through that lens 
And um, there's lots of different approaches in astrology for how to approach things, you know, either in a very nuanced way, like always taking a positive spin on it, but then on the other hand, always a negative spin or um, really seeing certain things as challenging and th certain things as not as challenging. So we're going to try to unpack that very complex topic by um, talking about a few different things. Um, and hopefully this will help people uh, consider, you know, both the polarity and the duality of astrology, but also how even within those um, confines, things can be incredibly nuanced. So, yeah, I think <clears throat> there can be a sense for approaching different people approach astrology as it's, you know, it's completely black or white or it's completely flexible. Yeah. Like, and, and right. Like often we'll see that in like the more traditional astrologers being maybe more in the black and white and pres prescriptive end of things. And the uh, more modern and evolutionary astrologers thinking that, Oh, let's get rid of all of the, all of the positive negative duality which um and I think right I mean as with anything it it all depends on your individual approach to things and that right understanding differentiation of those things yeah and astrology is really important because right you know the when we encounter these traditions and these ideas, right? Usually, I mean, I think now we're encountering them mostly in like memes. <laughs> and things tend to get two-dimensional right. in memes. And I think that's a big turnoff for me, right? When people, you know, when you encounter, like I think one of the shadow sides of astrology is the assumptions, right? And that's what everybody hates about pop astrology is like, you know, yeah. just being like, oh, you're a Capricorn sun. Like you can't be my roommate. Yeah. Just being like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense at all. Right. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I think maybe the, the oversimplification of astrology is the thing that makes it most difficult for me to like be an astrologer or to, to talk sure. about astrology, to, uh-huh find my place within it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm, I've used this metaphor before, but it feels like I'm like constantly pushing a boulder up a hill just to explain like, yes, I do astrology, but not that kind of astrology. <laughs> like, totally. yes, I do astrology, but here's a better description of what it is. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's tricky because I, I recognize like why we want to do this because this, this practice is incredibly complex and it, you really can't just like know it based on reading a couple of articles. Um, so I, you know, I think both of us would agree that like this practice has been such a like meaningful and useful tool in our lives. Um, and we want more people to seek it out and to learn from it, but not if that means like seeing it through this very overly simplistic black and white, boring, like unhelpful and unproductive lens. 
Yeah. Yeah. And not this kind of like weaponized mm. lens too. Right. I think no. we can, as with any kind of typology, I mean, I don't think that this is specific to astrology, you know, my kind of like daylight job of being a therapist and, um, using pathological language and using diagnoses, which we just throw around flippantly. Totally. Um, right. It's, you know, we can do a lot of harm to people and we can, and I think kind of the biggest amount of harm is just missing, seeing people for who they are because we're filled with preconceived notions. Right. Um, and whether yeah. we use astrology or the DSM to do that, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, we, we miss we miss people as they're trying to show up, but I think that's pretty sad. Yeah, I think that definitely um, is a good uh, summary of what I feel like we're we're trying to unpack today. So. So we're going to go through a few different parts, um, tools that are used in astrology, some of which those of you who are listening might know about, some of which you may not. Um, I tend to, if if you're listening and you've taken class with me before, I tend to stay away from these because as I was explaining to Whitney um, when we first started recording... I feel like the time that I spend with people, especially in my lunar circle, teaching them astrology for the first time, there isn't enough time to like explore and dissect the nuance of something that sounds very black and white, like malefic and benefic or, you know, like dignities and debilities. Um, And I don't not teach it, but I just don't focus on it because I really want people to not look at their chart in black and white terms. And I want them to see the complexity of it. Um, but we have some time now to unpack these things. So um, I'm grateful to have to have Whitney on so I can talk about some of these things and, and explain them in ways that I don't necessarily do in some of my courses. So um, why don't we talk first about malefic and benefic and what does that mean? What are those categories and what planets fit into those categories and descriptions? Yeah, so malefics, benefics, right, is a term that comes up a lot in astrology, and I think even more in the last 10 years with the revival of traditional astrology. Um, And so the benefics are Venus and Jupiter, and the malefics are Mars and Saturn. And, right, I think in a a really basic place to start is that, is just to say that in general, right, Venus and Jupiter are going to bring us things that are look more like opportunities are kind of easier to deal with in the sense that they take less effort, right? It's, it takes less effort to say yes to something that has shown up at your door, mm-hmm. right? The malefics being Mars and Saturn represent things that, you know, that tend to create problems. So we've got, right, Saturn, restriction, time limits, like, you know, oppressive 
forces that we experience either internally or externally. And Mars is the strength of our will and our ability to take action. And right, it's not when we're in the kind of harmonious place of Venus connecting us. Generally, although this is what we're going to explore, generally that doesn't create as many problems as Mars trying to separate or counter or fight things, right? Yeah. It's not where we agree that creates problems in our relationships in general. It's where we have to be assertive and figure out how to disagree and mm-hmm. manage conflict. Yeah. And obviously we all have Mars and Saturn and Jupiter and Venus and all the planets in all of our charts, right? So I think this is the other you know, piece about like oversimplified sun sign astrology that we miss because we just see ourselves as like a sun in a sign. Um, and we don't consider the fact that we have all the planets and all of the signs and all of the houses in all of our charts. Um, so what are some ways that these planets can show up for us differently, right? So if we each have unique natal charts, our Mars and our Saturn, like all of these planets are in different places. What are some sort of tools to gain more insight into how we as an individual interact with these different energies, whether they be more positive and easy or harder (laughs) and challenging? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, where... Anya, your and my practice of astrology really kind of um, resonate with each other is in, like, it starts with understanding the archetype on a deep level, right? Like, what, where are, who is Venus? And who is she in our chart? Right? It's almost like we drop into our chart and we start forming relationships with these individual planets as archetypal forces, whether we want to say that they're inside our own psyche or part of the the anima mundi, the soul of the world, right? Like we, right? Like we can think of our birth charts as a map of our relationship to these archetypes and right any relationship over time, you're not going to be relating to them in the same way as you were five years ago Mm -hmm. or right. Like that's a continuing thing. So, right. If we can continuously come back to the archetype of Mars, of our Mars in our birth chart, right. Like I think, I think viewing it as an individual relationship is the way to to start seeing the nuance yeah in it right yeah it honestly reminds me a little bit too of like I'm really glad you brought up psychology in the DSM because I think there are so many parallels between these two worlds and the ways that we approach them and talk about them um because I think it's similar to say like okay you know some of us might deal with anger (laughs) 
you know, more, or at least like unruly anger more than others. Um, or some of us might be like running a narcissistic pattern more than others. But if we can look at these things as archetypes and as stories that evolve mm-hmm. and transform over time, then, you know, you're not an angry person. You're someone who deals with anger sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're a person, first of all, you're you. Um, and these, these different energies and these archetypes weave in and, in and out, right? So we all have the capacity and we, and we all will, you know, engage in patterns that might be associated with narcissism, some of us more than others. And, you know, some of us might have, uh, you know, more passive aggressive tendencies than like outright aggressive right. tendencies. And, but yeah, yeah. I think, go ahead. Yeah. And I think that's a good point because right. It's in the same way that everybody has Mars in their chart. Everybody has anger. Yeah. Right. Like the emotions you know, I mean, there's like five, six core emotions. Everybody has all of them, right? You're going to see them come out in really varied ways, right? Some people's deal with anger is that it's too overt. It's too in your face. It's just raw. It's unfiltered. Some people have managed, you know, have, you know, engaged in psychological defenses that basically mute all of their anger, outwardly and sometimes inwardly but even if we've even if we don't think that we ever feel anger like anger is still there right like anger isn't it's an archetypal emotion right yeah right like whether our mars is like you know in leo in the 10th house like just really dominant or you know, in Taurus, tucked away somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still, it's still something that we will be um, better for forming a relationship with and understanding the role that it plays. Right. Right. Totally. Which, and I, again, I think just like the simple fact of, because so many people don't know this when they think of astrology because they've just learned about it like through the horoscope in the newspaper. Like I think just the pure fact of recognizing that when you were born, you you have all these planets and you have all these mm-hmm. signs, right? Like just that one little simple piece of information, I think is like rather revelatory because we understand mm-hmm. that every human has the same bucket of stuff. It's just that that bucket you know, the stuff was poured in at a different speed and, and you know, a different order. Um, but I think it's very like humanizing to see that like, we're all kind of the same yeah. bucket of stuff. We're all carbon-based yeah. beings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple of other things that affect these planets in our chart and Mm -hmm. affect us individually. So the things that we wanted to speak about specifically are sect, um, dignities and debilities and aspects. So we'll Mm -hmm. sort of like, this is not enough time to go through these things (laughs) in as great depth as we might want, but we'll sort of mention them, um, uh, briefly and, uh, yeah, see where we go with it. So why don't we talk about sect? Because this is another, sort of categorization or description that um, defines things as one or the other in astrology. Yeah. So sect, 
um, the idea of sect really like came back with the revival of traditional astrology again um, and making distinctions between day charts and night charts. And a helpful way to think about it is that sect is a tool for like sorting who's kind of, who's your A team, who's your B team. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Um, and it all depends on the sun. So sect is going to tell us whether you have a night chart or a day chart. And um, it doesn't matter where anything else is. It only matters where the sun is. If the sun is um, on the top half of the chart. So if you, if you drew a, a semicircle from the, from the chart ascendant to the descendant and it intersected the sun, then you have a day chart. Um, so right. If you're using whole sign houses, right. It's not just as simple as saying yeah. if the sun is in houses seven through 12, like above yeah. on the top yeah. half of the chart. Right. Generally it is, but yeah. Um, so, and that's basically if you were born while the sun was visible in the sky. Yeah. I was even going to say for people that like, don't have their chart that if you want to find out if it's a day chart or a night chart, basically what you're trying to figure out is like, was the sun above or below the horizon? Yeah. Um, so you can just like Google, okay. like when did the sun rise and when did the sun set on the day you were born? And that's a good way to figure it out. If you don't have yeah. your chart. Yeah. If the sun was visible when you were born, yeah, you have a day chart. And if it wasn't, you have a night chart. So usually that's going to look like, right, if the sun is in houses one through six, if it's below the horizon line, which is set by the ascendant-descendant axis, if you do have your chart, then you have a night chart. And there is, so then the planets are kind of, the, the traditional planets are sorted into kind of teams. There's like, they're called the diurnal planets or the day planets. And so that's Saturn and Jupiter. And the nocturnal planets are Venus and Mars. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and Mercury, it's a little bit technical. If Mercury is right. a morning star, then he's a day planet. He's right. an evening star, then he's a night planet. Or they. Right. So if someone... So what is the significance of that for someone? So maybe this is a good time to talk a little bit about our charts as examples. <laughs> Otherwise it's like so broad. Um, but how, why, so how do we figure out like what that means for us individually? So, okay, I have a night chart. How do I engage with the archetypes of Mars and Saturn, for example, relative to my chart versus someone that has a day chart? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll talk about day charts because I do have a day chart. You can talk about night charts. Sounds good. With your night chart. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> being born during the day, I was actually, I was born in the evening, 5.51 PM. Sun is in the eighth house, which is well above the horizon. Um, and um so that makes Saturn and Jupiter kind of like my, my A-team in terms of planets. It makes Jupiter kind of more benefic and Saturn less malefic. 
So, right, we have two benefics, we have two malefics. If you have a day chart, Jupiter is generally going to be, I don't know, luckier, more benefic than Venus in your chart. And Saturn is going to be less problematic, less of a challenge than Mars in your chart. That also makes the sun kind of more significant than the moon. Um, just having a day chart again, right? Like the moon, I was born on a new moon. So the, the moon is very close to the sun. It doesn't matter that the moon's above the horizon. I still have a day chart because of the sun. The sun is my sect light, um, my sect luminary. And Saturn and Jupiter are more, more helpful and less problematic than their counterparts. Right. Right. So for me, I was born at 10, 15 PM. So the sun had set for me, the sun is in the fifth house below the horizon. And for me, that means that Mars is less problematic than it might be for Whitney. Uh, Saturn more problematic than it might be for Whitney and um, Venus a bit less problematic. I'm sorry, a bit uh, more benefic, <laughs> um, uh, which is of course complex because I have a pretty afflicted Venus to begin with. Um, so here, like, you know, we can talk about the nuance of that. I have Chiron conjunct Venus um, which is the archetype of the wounded healer. So there's definitely some wounding around my Venus, even though um, we could say that Venus is on my A-team. She's still a little, she struggles a little bit. Um, and yeah, so, and Mars is also my chart ruler and Saturn is your chart ruler. Yes. So that's very so interesting. Our, <laughs> yes, our, our sect malefics are our chart rulers yeah and so yeah what Demetra George says um in her book ancient astrology in theory and practice is that you know if you have a malefic like that and it's fairly empowered because not only is Mars your chart ruler but it's Mars and Aries in its dignity, which we'll get to in a second, it sounds like, um, in, you know, in the first house, and I have Saturn as my chart ruler in Aquarius, in one of the, in traditional astrology, Saturn also rules Aquarius, so again, in its dignity, it says that doesn't, your chart can be ruled by a malefic, and it might not be as harmful as you, but you might, or to you, but you might be a little bit selfish in your use of it. It may cause harm to others, even if it's not as harmful mm. to you. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. And, and to sort of expand this a little bit too, like what we're saying is, you know, again, it sounds black and white, right? So like you could hear what we're saying and think, oh, like Mars is Anya's friend and Saturn is Whitney's friend, um, which, you know, may be true in certain contexts and certain times in our life and may be true relative to other people. 
Uh, but that definitely doesn't mean that we're not affected by the sort of more negative slash malefic slash difficult expression of those archetypes. Um, I do remember like one of the very first things that I learned about astrology that I read was like I came into astrology and discovered astrology right at the beginning of my Saturn return. Um, and that was actually like someone was describing Saturn returns and told me I was in a Saturn return. And I was like, wow, this sounds like exactly what I'm going through. And I remember someone mentioning like, if you have a night chart, that <laughs> your Saturn return might be more difficult. Um, and I think this was one of the first, uh, like one of my first experiences um, encountering this sort of like good, bad uh categorization in astrology mm -hmm. and I remember rejecting it and I, I was like no 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 yeah. like everyone's Saturn return is going to be horrible and like I would look at my friends charts who hadn't had it yet and look at whether they had a day chart or not and I, I was very resistant to this because I, I think I like I on the one hand this is going to sound so fucked up but like wanted other people to suffer as much as I was suffering yeah. um, because I felt it was so unfair and also because I wasn't like quite ready to accept the like gravity and the pain and the challenge of my own Saturn return, which lots of other stuff was going on in my chart at the time um, that we could arguably would say was more traumatic than the Saturn transit itself. But um, I think that is interesting. And I, I do think that Saturn returns in general can be, this was again, like an oversimplification, but can be more challenging for those of us with night charts because Saturn isn't as close a friend um, as it might be to those with day charts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd say I see that. Um, yeah. In terms of Saturn returns, but again, right. Like we're so cautious in yeah, this I know. episode because we're like, <laughs> I think, right, you and I are very cognizant of people being like, oh, no, I'm going to have this horrible Saturn return, right? This way that we all kind of like jump to wanting to use astrology to anticipate how hard things are going to be. Mm -hmm. um, or, right, you know, I mean, we can use it in this anxiety-fueled way of trying to control things mm -hmm. by anticipating them. Right when we do that, right. We tend to put, we tend to push things to the extremes. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's a funny thing. Like I talk about this, not necessarily relative to astrology, but like when there's something happening in the world or like an opinion that you see or something happens to you and like you reject it or you are in the minority position of something. So like the examples I use often are like being a vegetarian, right? Like people have a lot of animosity toward vegetarianism and tend to like attack people who are vegetarian. And it sort of forces the people who are vegetarians to like be really gung ho for their cause and defend themselves so intensely because they are constantly being bombarded with like, they just need to be defensive all the time, which can create this like over inflated, um, positive spin on vegetarianism or, you know, non-monogamy, for example, that isn't necessarily accurate. And I feel like that's what we're, we're trying to engage in right now is that like, 
we both believe that these very lacking in nuance categorizations can be harmful, but we don't want to fall into the category of, you know, reactivity and saying that they have no value. So just to explain, I think, to people like why we're towing this line so carefully is because we are saying sort of two things at once, like the paradox of it's not healthy to see things in black and white terms, but it's also not healthy to not consider the duality or the polarity of something. Um, and so we just need to hold those true truths together right. at the same time. <laughs> and I think what I love about doing one-on-one -on -one readings is that I think that, right, when we are actually in conversation with each other, when we have the relationship as the container of this information, we're naturally more nuanced and more gentle. I mean, I hope we are, right? right. Like if I'm writing a book that anyone could read, I have to use different language than right. when I'm talking to somebody who's natal, Mars is in Libra. And we're talking about what that means. And I have their whole chart, right? Yeah. I can't. And I think, right, it's beautiful that we live in this age of information where you can just grab stuff from anywhere. But, um, but when information ceases to be something that is um, relational in the sense of like, it's not like a teacher giving you this piece of wisdom, yeah. right? Like, we don't know who our audience is and we don't know who the writers are. We're just trading memes and there's something about like, yeah, it's kind of sad. Yeah. And dangerous. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to like really study astrology and know what you're talking about and then like finding memes kind of funny sometimes, but to learn yeah, astrology totally. from memes is like a whole other ball game. And like, I can't tell you how many of them make absolutely no sense <laughs> um, to say the least like that's not a helpful tool at all um yeah so why don't we talk a little bit about some other astrological categorizations um the first being dignities and debilities yeah let's talk about dignities I feel like you know every five months or something I mean I'm not really in I'm not really on astrology twitter kind of terrifies me yeah. um and talk about having malefics in the ninth house um um yeah but i feel like every five months someone there's some huge explosion on twitter about someone saying like we shouldn't be using dignities at all you should not be using essential dignities of the planets because it creates this bad good. And right. so I think probably even more than like maybe malefic benefic, although that one comes up a lot too, right? Different planets have um, home signs, right? So every sign of the zodiac has a planet that is said to be its ruler, I think is the most common language, yeah. but it's kind of like, I don't know. I kind of picture them as like the department managers of that sign. Yeah. They like know where everything is. They know how to like get everything done in that yeah. sign. They're kind of in charge of it. Yeah. Um, 
so right like we mentioned mars as the ruler of aries and saturn as the traditional ruler of aquarius um so every sign has one of those and when planets are in their home signs they're said to be dignified so um which means they can just express themselves they can express the archetype of whatever they are in a very pure kind of unmediated way and so every sign has an opposite sign right so what does it mean when a planet is in the opposite sign from the sign it rules well it's said to be debilitated or in exile right it's like if you are man about town in your little hometown you can get a lot of stuff done really easily and then if you go to a country where you don't speak the language and you don't know anyone it's a lot harder to get stuff done right it takes longer you've got to figure stuff out and so um yeah so the other terms for that are planets being in domicile where they're really comfortable in their own homes or being in exile that sense of far away from home not speaking the language right how mm-hmm. does how does venus get stuff done in a mars ruled sign yeah um and then there's also exaltations and depressions or falls so just as you might not be as productive at home as you would be in some coffee shop or whatever right there's this kind of idea that planets can do their best work their most exalted work in other signs and then right when they're in the opposite of that sign they're said to be in their depression or fall where they're really struggling and so that is a way that kind of good and bad comes up a lot in astrology. Oh, I have a good Mars. I have a bad Mars. I have a, <laughs> right? Like, oh, I can't get anything done because of whatever, right? We can yeah. see our charts in really black and white in terms of who's really empowered dignity-wise yeah. and who's really disempowered. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we're going to talk about Mars more specifically as this conversation goes on. So I thought maybe it would be, we could give Mars, we could use Mars as an example for these four things. Um, Also because of our personal Mars placements. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mars rules Aries. I have Mars in Aries. And, you know, when we talk about like the department manager of something, you know, if you learn about the signs and the planets, you'll see that there are correlatory themes, you know, so Aries and Mars have themes that are quite similar to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talking with a planet as far as the what, and we're talking as, a, you know, with a sign as far as the how, so it's different in that mm-hmm. sense, but a lot of the themes are the same. They're correlatory. So, you know, the way that I um, pursue action, the way that I engage with will, the way that I move forward, the way that I deal with, you know, anger and rage are in the house that also deals with those themes. Um, so there's some sort of like, yeah, I, I, I like your department manager thing. <laughs> like um, that person, yeah, like knows their way around and knows how to navigate that world. Um, the opposite sign to Aries is Libra. And Libra is 
um, more about relationship and more about considering all the options. So when you have Mars, which is a planet about like me and the thing and the way forward, when you put it in Libra, um, it becomes a little bit more difficult for it to navigate itself because how can you move forward directly when you're considering lots of different options and lots of different people? That's one example. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a journey with that. And that kind of brought us to this podcast and this project because I have Mars and Libra. So yeah. How do I, how do I encounter my own anger? How do I um, express my own will when, right? Like Mars and Libra, I expect if I take decisive action, it's creating more harmony, not less. Right. Right. But how do you, you know, how do you use a hammer to do like needlework? Yeah. It's, it's more complicated. There's a paradox and a puzzle in there. And I think, you know, when I'm working with clients, that's really what I'm trying to find in their charts is where's the paradox? Where has your chart and your life given you like this, this puzzle of how do you figure out how to use this, you know? Um, right? Like, right. You can have really things that look really lucky in your chart or whatever, like they should be really easy, but then there's like one thing that changes it. So, right. And that's like, that's your life. That's the creativity of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I have a perfect example of that in my chart that we should get to, because we're going to talk about aspects too, but Um, to briefly also talk about um, the exaltation um, and fall. So Mars is said to be exalted in Capricorn. Oh, well, if we're doing rulerships, we got to do traditional too. Oh, yeah. Mars traditionally rules Scorpio. Scorpio. (laughs) Right. Um, So, yeah, that means, you know, we've given the modern rulership of Scorpio to Pluto. Yeah. Um, but Mars is the traditional ruler of Scorpio as well. And I think that that's, I think that it's really useful to think of Mars both as the ruler of Scorpio and Aries and Aries, we kind of get the overt, um, like I think of Mars as the blade and Aries is like a sword, Mm -hmm. but in Scorpio, Mars becomes the surgeon and the blade is the scalpel. How do I skillfully cut things open to reveal their secrets. Um, Yeah. How do I bravely go into the places that it's taboo to go? Like, you know, cutting people open. Right. Um, Yeah. The like external and internal mm -hmm. battle or yeah. I, I often also associate um, Mars with these sort of like tools that cut things. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, we, like, I think I was talking to Whitney the other day about like bushwhacking, right? Like that, that's a very sort of like Mars and Aries thing to do. Like I'm getting through the brush. Like we're, we're talking about (laughs) the, the, you know, what we can see and what we can feel and engage with in the external world 
Um, and then Mars rulership of Scorpio is like, how can I cut through the brush of my subconscious um, and explore the depths of of that which cannot be necessarily yeah. seen or touched um, in such a right. tangible way? Or how could, yeah. What tenacity does it take to turn that on myself? Right? Mm-hmm. Again, people, you know, performing surgery on themselves in dire circumstances or right. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. That's a whole, it's a, it's a different, it's nocturnal Mars. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then in Taurus too, we've got the pastoral, we've got the, we've got the beautiful side of nature. We've got the, the peacefulness. Um, and right. Mars, um, Taurus takes a lot of inertia to get moving. And so sometimes that can be hard for Mars and Taurus. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, exaltation. Yes. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for including, reminding me. Um, so yeah, so exaltation, Mars in Capricorn. So, um, yeah, I think like when I think of Mars and Capricorn, I think of like contractors and construction projects. And like, if Capricorn is about building, you know, we are traditionally associating Capricorn with Saturn, which we might think is like slow and like nothing happens or nothing actually gets created. But in fact, the um, beauty of Saturn and and of Capricorn is that it if you're patient enough and you follow the rules and um, you play by the rules, then you can construct something and create something really sustainable and um, secure and stable. And so when you pair Mars's like forward motion and sort of like, um, yeah, movement with the dedication and hard work of Capricorn, um, you can actually like use Mars in a way that um, like there's a means to an end, I think. Whereas I think with like Mars in its rulership in Aries and Scorpio, like you're not necessarily like getting at a target or like a goal. It's just like an ongoing dig. Um, and so with Capricorn, it's like, okay, let me take that energy of movement and, um, put it into something that you can actually like tangibly construct. Uh, yeah. Anything else to add to that? Yeah. I mean, it's just Mars and Capricorn is, um, it's a beautiful thing to see. It is so competent. It's almost, yeah. I mean, right. You take all of the stamina of the warrior and you put it in the sign of discipline and hard work and you achieve great things. <laughs> you achieve great things. But yeah. Yeah. My dad is, a is Mars and Capricorn. My husband is Mars and Capricorn. Like it's, you know, watching how Mars works, but it's also not Mars. That's like flying off the handle. There's, you know, necessarily it's you know mars under under the guidance of saturn so then we're looking for where your saturn is but um you know it's it's learned mars that has learned discipline 
Right. Yeah. And then right. it's fall, it's depression in cancer and really take cancer, the sign of the mother, the sign of the family, and you put knives in there and it's problematic. Um, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the things, one of the defining features of cancer is that it is not straightforward, right? Like crabs do not walk in straight lines. They kind of scuttle sideways. Mm -hmm. And in a similar way, like cancer doesn't move straight forward, right? If we think about, you know, crabs in the water, like, you know, light doesn't move in straight lines through the water, yeah. light wiggles. And so when you have Mars, that's going to be the greatest source of your vitality to move forward in a straight on, on the path. Once you find it, mm -hmm. it's complicated to put it in cancer. Um, a big thing that I see with Mars and cancer placements is that anger almost always looks like sadness. There's a real, there's an internal yeah. confusion between anger and hurt. Right. Um, and so, you know, it can be really hard to own anger because it, it ends up looking like grief or disappointment or, right. um, yeah. And so that's, it's really hard to make your point to someone when you're trying to negotiate something, if you're overwhelmed, yeah. cancerian emotion. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Like I almost like I'm thinking of, there's this sort of externalization of anger versus an internalization of anger. And if we could think about Mars and Capricorn as like, I'm angry, so I'm going to like throw this TV across the yard. <laughs> um, whereas Mars okay, and- Okay, Mars and Aries. <laughs> Mars and Capricorn is like, I'm angry, so I'm going to change public policy so that this never happens to anyone ever okay, again. Fine, and that's fine, my 10-year yeah, plan. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Um, but yeah, like Mars and cancer is so internalized and, and I agree. I think it often shows up as sadness and, but often shows up as like, I can't be angry at someone or I can't be angry at anything. And so I turn that anger in on myself, which mm -hmm. can be really harmful and dangerous. Um, and I, again, like going back to this whole idea that we all have anger, uh, Mars and cancer people have angered just as much as anyone else. Um, but yeah, it can sometimes, you know, turn up as this sort of like internalized self-hatred or just straight up passive aggressive, right? Like I can't express this directly and externally. Um, and so I'm going to do it in this like underground, yeah, like watery yeah. tunnel kind of a way. Yeah. Right. A really simple shorthand for your Mars is like what, you know, what does it use as weapons? Okay. Mars and cancer is going to use emotions as is going to weaponize emotions. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Whew. Like on others or on oneself. None of it's yeah. that great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mars and Gemini is going to weaponize words. Yeah. And ideas. So, yeah. 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 And I think again, just to like, before we move on, bring the nuance back in. Um, mm -hmm. My ex-husband also had Mars in Capricorn. And um, it was interesting because like his level of like commitment and dedication to things extended to that which he should not have necessarily been so dedicated to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah. 
um, like being in a job you really don't like, but feeling like you really like owe it to the company to like continue the job and to complete the thing. Right. So when we're talking about Mars and Capricorn being exalted, that doesn't mean um, that it can express itself in a not so amazing way. And of course this right. interacts with our charts and um, yeah, like I think Mars and cancer, like also of course can express itself beautifully and Mars and Libra can express itself beautifully. And there are, there are positive ways. It's just like, that's, you know, we all have work in different areas. Um, and that's sort of the beauty of, of the chart is again, like we can see that we have all these different things and they're rearranged in these different ways. And each of us is sort of coming at it from a different uh, direction. And also that's why relationships are so cool because like, whether it's a friendship or, a romantic relationship or teacher student, like we're going to come upon other ways of doing things. And through those interactions, you know, it's so important to recognize like the way that that person does something isn't the wrong way. And I, the way that I'm doing it isn't the right way. It's a different way. Um, yeah. And we can both learn from each other because of the different way that we each embody these things. So. Right. And not assuming that the way we do things now will always be the way that for sure we do them. No, I was thinking um, about this episode and how to kind of think about dignities. And it's almost like, um, yeah, planets that are in their favorite houses or their favorite signs or whatever that are dignified um, by where they are in the chart, they, <clears throat> I think we can use the language of like peaking. They peak mm -hmm. earlier. Because yeah. it's easy for them, right? Um, you know, if we have a natural talent at something, that's going to be something that's really easy for us to do, but we might lack discipline or creativity because why try harder if it's working? Right. Um, yeah. Right? The people that find themselves or, I don't know, seem very happy with themselves in high school, right? Like... Yeah. that are not people with angular Saturns. Um, yeah. We look at them, you know, being like, oh God, I wish I was comfortable um, in myself when I was 15. And then you just realize like, oh yeah, maybe you're going to peak a lot later yeah. <laughs> because you've got a longer journey. And you know what? Like, everybody does in some part of their charts so right totally yeah I've had that thought many a time because high school sucked for me what? so badly <laughs> um yeah and really interesting to think about and reflect on those people who you like idolized at the time like I'm way more happier with my life now um and I'm glad I didn't peak then in retrospect um so I wanted to go back to what you talked about as far as paradox, because the entire chart is paradoxical in, in <laughs> some ways, yeah. um, because we have these things, you know, Aries is always opposite Libra and Scorpio is always opposite Taurus. And the first house is always opposite the seventh and the ascendant is always opposite the descendant mm -hmm. and MC always opposite the IC. So there's a oh lot of gosh. these, a lot of these um, <clears throat> opposites. And, um, those opposites cr create somewhat of a paradox, but like, of course, a paradox 
And I think bringing in the imagery of like yin and yang is important here because with these oppositions like Aries and Libra, these aren't two unrelated entities. These mm-hmm. are two sides of one coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have a little bit of each other in the other mm-hmm. um, and yet are, represent, are representing these quote unquote like opposite things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like in my chart, I, you know, upon first glance have a very prominent Mars. It's in the first house. It's in Aries. It's my chart ruler. Um, and yet I have my moon. So like my emotional stability or desire for that is in Libra, which is not, um, so hip to what Mars wants. Like Mars is all about autonomy and doing what I want, whatever I want. And my moon feels comfortable and safe with other people and in partnership and considering different sides of one thing. And so there are these, um, in my chart, there's this opposition, uh, especially between, um, Aries and Libra and, and for me, that's a major paradox in my chart and one that I'm still trying to figure out, which is like, how can I maintain my sense of individuality and authenticity and wholeness within the context of others um, and find that sort of balance on the seesaw where I can have both. Um, and so that maybe is a good segue into aspects because this is another uh good slash bad category that we use in astrology. So why don't we, let's just define what an aspect is. Yeah. So an aspect has to do with the angular relationship of planets to each other. So basically like think your way back to high school geometry, right? We're like making angles in a circle, right? So if we've got, yeah, we've got Mars at the very top of the circle and we have mm, Venus at either the three o'clock or six o'clock positions, that's going to be a 90 degree angle, right? If we draw lines to the center and then we measure the angle between them, um, that's going to be a right angle. And so that aspect is in astrology is called a square and, um, and is traditionally more difficult. So we've got, it's all based on geometry, right? Astrology comes out of ancient geometry. They kind of um, grow together, which is actually what got me back into astrology in my own journey with astrology was um, getting a history of math degree (laughs) and then finding, oh, hey, like we're back in astrology. (laughs) which as an atheist 17-year-old, I proudly marched away from <laughs> my high school days yeah. and then found myself right, um, right back in there. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so when planets are opposite each other in the chart, 180 degrees apart, that's called an opposition. 90 degrees is a square. Um, 120 degrees is a trine that's traditionally good and 60 degrees is a sextile also good and so those are the major ones more modern forms of astrology will start going crazy 
yeah. sextiles and quintiles and septiles. And I think I forget which astrologer used to say and ceiling tiles. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you can go crazy with it, but the, but the kind of the key ones that are called the major aspects are going to be the opposition and the square and, um, and the trine and the sextile. And, and again, they are sorted into the hard aspects, um, which are the opposition in the square. Oppositions are said to be in the nature of Saturn. Squares are in the nature of Mars. So those, we don't call them malefic aspects, but they are more problematic. You have mm -hmm. to deal with things. Um, and then sextiles are said to be in the nature of Venus and trines in the nature of Jupiter. So traditionally um, better, more helpful. Benefic aspects, but right, come back to how does it work in your chart? Yeah. So for example, right, you might have two planets that you don't want there to be an easy flow of stuff in between, <laughs> right? Yeah. That might be problematic. Um, you know, if you have Venus trying Pluto, that which I do. <laughs> right? Yeah. That is the potential for a lot of harmful power struggles within um, the Venusian realm, right? So while trines open up and are, can be the harmonious flow of things between those planets, um, we might not necessarily want those archetypes to get along as well as they do. Right. Yeah, and I think trines too, like the more harmonious aspects. Um, and this was another thing that I think I rejected for a while was this idea that like you almost don't even need to pay attention to them because they're just sort of like spokes on a tire or something like they just flow. Mm -hmm. And um, there's not much really to do because <laughs> they just... Mm -hmm communicate and they're they're just doing their thing whereas like a square opposition like you notice the conflict like you come to the impasse and you see again, it and, and again again <laughs> <laughs> and you have to like confront it um so yeah and of course like when things flow like that you know it doesn't mean like you said it's nuanced it you know my venus pluto uh trine deserves attention and um reflection and adjustment and also the things that are square in opposition like it's in squares or oppositions in my chart or anyone's chart yes like you come across that conflict and that tension and that impasse but isn't that the way we grow yes. and learn um and of course this occurs not only in our individual charts but we could have you know like my mars is opposite of Whitney's Mars. Um, and so how does that work when we're doing these projects together, podcasts together, courses together, which we have, um, we work quite well together actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like there's, there's that sort of, um, interaction between two things that I think in relationships we're actually drawn to because we're like trying to grow and we're trying to work on things. And so when mm -hmm. you, like that's such an um, another annoying part of oversimplifying astrology is that of course people are like oh like I want to look at my chart in you know up against the chart of this guy that I met 
yesterday and come up with all of these assumptions around how we're going to interact. And you're like, oh, there's all these squares. That's like so terrible. Or there's all these trines and that's so amazing. I've definitely done this before. Um, And that's just not how it works. Like squares Mm -hmm. do not mean you don't get along with someone and trines do not mean you get along with them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I am married to someone that we have squares that we've got squares all over the place. Right. I mean, you grow so much, as you say, right. When you have to confront something, when you come into a kind of crisis, right. Like a crisis is not just something bad happening. It's a place where you have to make a choice. Right. Right. And so the squares in your chart, right. Like, yeah, you have to make a choice and that might not be comfortable. Right. Yeah. Um, oppositions being the nature of Saturn, right? Like that is the impasse. Like they're in a tug of war. Yeah. Um, So which way are we going to, which way are we going to go? But that might be really important. Um, Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, when you were saying, yeah, we don't have to look into them for ourselves because that's our compass of like, oh yeah, the way that the world works for me is that, um, yeah, like everything seems magical and faded and beautiful because my son trines Neptune. Um, yeah. Totally delusional. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's important for me to be aware of it. I mean, it's we're almost talking about like privilege here. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't have to consider what hard aspects from whatever Neptune to the sun would look like because I don't have one. But if I'm aware of that, then I'm a more compassionate, empathetic, relational human being. So maybe. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Just like my seemingly quote unquote good Mars, like does not mean that, um, like just because I might be privileged in some ways does not mean it's not something to, to focus on and to adjust. Um, And you have to deal with a lot of like conflict coming at you. I mean, right. This podcast is about you being a controversial person. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, And I, I feel like on that that note, it's a really good segue to talk about um, the fact that we're bringing back our course retrograde with intention, which we did last winter um, over the course of the Venus retrograde. And we talked about potentially bringing it back when Mars went retrograde in Gemini, which it is about to. And yeah, we decided to do it. And I'm really excited about it. I think, I mean, I'm sure you feel similarly, like I think all of the courses that I teach, like astrological courses, I mean, even every podcast I do is like a little, it's like a lesson for me. Like, I think I'm teaching the course for me as much as I'm teaching it for the students in it. Um, and I'm feeling super grateful to be able to spend like the next six months, um, examining Mars, uh, both in my own chart and in general and helping others, um, yeah, journey with their own Mars and through this transit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to engage with Mars, you know, so, so right. As we said, 
I have a day chart. Saturn is my sect malefic. Saturn is my chart ruler. I've made my peace with Saturn. I have my Saturn tattoo. <sighs> Much like you have your Mars, Mars tattoo. <laughs> Um, right. I was like, okay, I am a child of Saturn. Guess what? Like big deal. Thank you very much. Whitney. You can give yourself a little sticker or a tattoo, but like you still have to deal with Mars. Um, so yeah, I think Mars is my greatest teacher because it's my out of sect malefic and it is expressing itself in non-traditional Libran ways. Um, constantly sticking its foot in its mouth. Um, and so, yeah, getting to spend time with people. And that was one of the things that was so lovely um, about teaching our Venus and Capricorn workshop is getting to engage with other participants that have, well, in this case, it'll be Mars in different, playing different roles in their charts. And right, mm -hmm. the way that all of us engaging, not just in intrapersonal, but interpersonal ways with this archetype, how that, um, how much more we see and can understand yeah. of that. And right. Doing the work of like, okay, what, what's the mythology around Mars? What's the story of Mars in my chart? What's the story of Mars in Gemini what's the story of retrograde Mars and Gemini in my chart right now yeah you know I mean I kind of see our charts as like you know our our natal charts are set um but the transits to them I kind of see as our treatment plans so again right as a therapist when people are coming to me with issues where we're figuring out okay what what is the path forward and I you know, and I think whether people have diagnoses or not, um, yeah. right, we always have this like treatment plan of the soul. Uh, hopefully we do. Hopefully we're all consciously, consciously, ugh, yeah. intentionally engaged in our own shadow and our own self-development and our own self-awareness. Um, and the transits to our chart are showing us, okay, now it's time to work on this thing. Yeah. Now, how do yeah. you deal with empowerment in the Gemini place in your chart? Let's right. wrestle with that. Yeah, totally. And I, I think on your point about like interacting with the course participants, I think also in this, first of all, Mars's retrograde is a lot longer than Venus's. And um, since we've already done this course before, we learned some things and for this one, we're going to open it up a lot more. So we have, I think, four or five lectures, um, which people can or don't have to attend live. We'll record all of them this time. We didn't do that last time, but this time everything will be recorded. Um, but we're also going to add in these group discussions between the course participants to chat with each other. And then also Whitney and I are going to have open up office hours where you guys can come for extra support, extra questions. I assume there will just be a, end up being like extra learning and connecting yeah. that happens there. So yeah, you bring your charts, right? Say, <laughs> how do I figure out my Mars? And yeah. then we talk about that. Yeah. 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 So it's basically like a, a Mars retrograde support group and um, we're going to be engaging like Mars retrogrades are periods of time where we're like coming up against 
Martian things. And so, yeah, like what we've mentioned so far, anger and assertiveness and autonomy and individuality and the hero's journey and um, how we engage with ourselves, how we express ourselves, bringing in all these sort of Gemini themes as well. It's going to, it's going to be a lot of myth and um, psychology and support and group discussion and community and um, and if you traditionally see retrogrades as difficult or bad, right, here is a way to engage in it in a relational way. I'm laughing that we didn't list retrogrades in the things that are true. traditionally seen as bad. <laughs> You'll have to take retrograde with intention for that lesson. Um, but yes, retrogrades are traditionally seen as bad and that is... Or we also recorded a podcast specifically on retrogrades. On yeah, that's retrogrades. true. I will yeah. link to that. Yeah, we did. Um, so that's that's true. But yes, like you said, if you traditionally think retrogrades are bad, quote unquote, um, this will expand your perspective a bit, but also reinforce some ways in which retrogrades can sometimes be kind of shitty. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see all sides. Right. And I think we saw that in the Venus, right? Some people feeling a lot of liberation, some people going through a dark night of the soul, often those being the same people at different time periods. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, totally. Uh, So where we are starting September 17th, um, I think. Yes. And um, the first class. Yeah. And we go until March. So this is a, a long wide (laughs) container. Um, and, uh, again, yeah, you'll see the course, the lectures listed, um, on Whitney's website, which we'll put, give the link to, um, but you do not have to attend those live. If you can't make it, we will be recording all of them. Um, and then the office hours and the group, um, conversations are more important to attend and we will release the dates of those as well. And yes, you have a bit of time to sign up. Um, we'll probably close enrollment around September 15th or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, what, where, what is the link on your site where people can sign up and learn more? Yeah. So my website is starhearthastrology.com. And, um, yeah, there's a booking tabs for signing up. There's also a classes tab that has all of the details of the class. Um, yeah. And then also feel free to send, um, on your, right, on your, me questions. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I will also put the link for that in the episode description so you can easily click on that and yeah, send us any questions or, um, hesitations or yeah, whatever, whatever you want to send us. <laughs> We're happy to, to chat about it. So yeah, it's Mars and Gemini. Send us <laughs> yeah. whatever. Send us your complaints. Send us your most biased <laughs> astrology memes. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you, Whitney. It's always a pleasure. Hello again, everybody. Thank you for sticking around and listening to that conversation with Whitney. We hope you will join us for Retrograde with Intention. Please do not hesitate to reach out with questions. If you need a payment plan, we are willing to accommodate basically all the things. So head to Whitney's website or click the uh, link in the episode description to sign up. And if you would like to join our community, you can do that in a different 
lot of different ways. You can do it in person by attending one of the meetups that Chris and I are going to be co-hosting this summer, or I guess it's the fall. We always take this trip in the summer, so I'm confused, but this is the fall. <laughs> uh, so you can come to a meetup in the fall on your cots.com, uh, click on, um, I think it's about me. And then there's a podcast meetup section or just on slash podcast dash meetups is where you'll see the list of places we're planning to go. You can also join us on Substack, comment on posts, share posts with others, uh, participate in some of the writing that I put out and meet each other in open threads, etc. Onyakots.substack.com. It is free to sign up or you can uh, throw me a little bit of cash, $5 a month to support this project, which will always be free, which will never have sponsors. <laughs> and so I'm counting on all of you to support me if you are able to. But anything, any way you engage, any way that you participate in this project or with me or with others that listen is super cool. And like I said, really the heartbeat and the blood flow of this entire project. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I'm going to play you out with potentially uh, the most perfect song for a podcast episode that has ever been played in the history of the world. Like if I could write custom write a song for this podcast, it wouldn't even be as good as this song. It's called Born Under a Bad Sign and it's by Albert King. And yeah, it's literally about everything that Whitney and I just talked about on that episode. So it's perfect in every way. Uh, enjoy this song and I will catch you next time. Looking forward to sharing with all of you how the retreat went. If you're coming to the retreat, looking forward to seeing you in person. All right, guys, I, I always don't ever want to stop. Like, I want to keep engaging with all of you. Like, this is my connection to, like, the group of the coolest people ever. So I just keep wanting to talk into the void, into the earphones or speakers that you are listening to. But alas, I must go. We must head to Whitefish. So thank you all and catch you next time. <laughs>